0: Hello and welcome back to Take 97, a film podcast with me, your host, David Ingram. Today's episode, we shall be looking at a particular director, a favorite director of mine and also my guests today. Uh, it's a director that lots of people, if you're into your films, you will know and love. Or if you're just starting out, you should really know as a benchmark director in terms of film studies or just generally being interested in film. Uh, and as you can tell by the title of this episode, it, that is Mr. Alfred Hitchcock. So we'll be getting into a few of his films today. It was very hard to pick some of my top picks for this director because Mr. Hitchcock has got so many classic films and it was very hard to narrow them down. Uh, And I know that was very much the case for my guest today, who I shall introduce now. So he's a what I would call a big Hitchcock fan. He's an avid supporter of Tate 97 as well. And we're very happy to have him on the podcast. And that is Billy Morton. Welcome to the podcast, Billy. Thank you for having me. Nice to be here. Nice to have you here. Uh, So how how are you doing? Just to ask because I haven't seen you in ages. So uh, how are you?
1: Yeah, I'm very coping. All right. You know, I'm not I'm feeling a bit like uh, Jimmy Stewart in rear window, you know, cramped up inside, obviously, in our lockdown situation. But uh, I'm coping. okay, actually, Um, you know, getting out. And,
0: and get some fresh air each day and uh taking yeah. it as it comes. Oh, absolutely. And I love I just th- see this is why we've got Billy on the podcast. He made a relevant reference to the Hitchcock <laughs> film, <laughs> to the situation we're in. Oh, it's brilliant. So anyone listening back to this in the future, you know it was crazy times. Uh but no, thank <laughs> you so much for coming on, Billy. Um, before we progress on to the topic at hand would you like to just tell everybody who you are? So obviously I, I'll i give a brief explanation. I know Billy from my time at uni, as I do most of the people I talk to on the podcast or free friends of friends. Uh, so we both went to Brooks together. We both studied film. Uh, but could you just tell us a little bit more about yourself, what you do in your spare time creatively and what you love about film in general, really, before we continue? Yeah, on? of
1: course yeah absolutely so um yeah like you say we met at uni obviously I studied film and English as well um and in my spare time and I'm hoping to make it a career someday I'm a writer so uh, I do screenwriting and stuff like that so um I'm hoping to uh, sort of make that a full-time thing at some point but for now it's just a spare time thing and uh, obviously watching a lot of films as well
0: and uh all this lockdown stuff's given me lots of time to get on with that so it's, it's been good oh absolutely i couldn't agree more i mean i'm pretty much in a similar boat to you i like to i t- turn my hand to a bit of writing every now and again and cannot stop watching films and this is probably i would say our literal dream even though the situation couldn't have been a worse situation to be in the actual having to be inside being able to have hours and hours to watch films is actually quite a nice luxury for us so i think this is like perfect perfect scenario for us really but yeah no lovely to have you on Billy and like I said um if there's any if there's any work you want to promote halfway through this be my guest just drop sure. a, drop a plug <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no the reason I got you on this podcast though is to talk about the legend the master of suspense that is Mr. Alfred Hitchcock. I nearly, I nearly fluffed the name there. <laughs> I was <trying laughs> to make it sound. It sounds so epic, <laughs> Mr. Alfred Hitchcock. No, Mr. Alfred Hitchcock. There we go. That's his name properly there. uh great respect for this man obviously he's a legend of the cinema as i said if you know anything about film and in terms of just studying film or even if you're just starting out you will see his name pop up in many books online sources or doc behind the scenes documentaries on anything that you might see uh billy tell us why you love alfred hitchcock so much because that's why i got you on because you're yeah love him so much so tell us a little bit about your affinity with the master of suspense
1: no, I do, I do, and I think before we start talking about him, I think it's um it, it's a tricky one really because with, with Mr Hitchcock, as with quite a few sort of big directors, especially from the bygone era, you know, uh, he. he he's obviously a great artist, you know, but he also in his sort of personal life, I know he, he, he has been a bit sort of problematic as well, you know, particularly with his treatment of his female stars and stuff. And I think there definitely is some, some issues. He's not, you know, a perfect man. And of course, you know, as well with his filmmaking, he's not, not a perfect director either, but uh, I think I am a big sort of advocate of separating artists from their art as well. So I think um, I really do appreciate his work while I don't necessarily appreciate everything uh, he did. in. The rest of his life um but I, I think he's a great director I first um kind of I, I haven't always been a lover of him you know I, I only kind of uh, discovered him uh, I guess I was probably about 15 when I first watched Psycho uh, and obviously that's a great one to go in on because it's an amazing film um and since then I, yeah I just every film that I've watched um you know there's obviously uh, varying degrees of, of brilliance I guess but um Every film I've watched of his, I've, I've really enjoyed. I've definitely taken something out of. And, and I, I wouldn't say I'm an expert by any means, really, because I, I haven't seen all of his films. Uh, you know, I'm still working through uh, his catalogue. There's a lot to go through, you know. I've, I've seen uh, most of the big ones, I guess. Um, but I'm still going through the sort of more uh, obscure ones. And the, some of them are hard to find as well, obviously, from being so long ago. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm getting there. But I just think he's a great... Um, he. He, he always picked great projects, you know, and he always yeah. adapted great. A lot of his work is based on novels and plays and stuff. He always picked great source material. Uh, and, and of course, the way he crafts uh, the, the final product is just
0: uh, unparalleled, really, in my opinion. No, no, absolutely. And um, it's quite good that you've basically done the nice little disclaimer bit at the beginning then before we even (laughs) continue. So, you know, guys, you know what sort of a ride we're in for here. Like we say, we're going to be talking a lot about the films of Alfred Hitchcock. Obviously, we might touch on a few of the sort of issues here and there, possibly as well, but in the making of some of these films. But mostly we're talking about our love and appreciation of his work as a film director and as Billy says like like Billy I haven't seen all of his work I've seen quite a lot of them but I haven't seen all of them so but and there's even one of them that's on Billy's list of top five recommendations he's going to be giving you in a moment that I haven't actually seen uh, that I will probably be checking out after we've recorded this episode so <laughs> no but I, most of them I've seen and most of them I have enjoyed so um I'm just gonna let you take it away with your first pick of your Hitchcock top five so uh yeah of course Would you like to take it away with this first one it's very very Hitchcock in the sense that you know when you think of Hitchcock and if you know him it's very traditional to and very to his roots of Hmm. suspense and you know really letting the audience in on something but the characters are not knowing and creating that weird dissonance between the the suspense of us knowing but the character not knowing and that tension before the crucial moment and that happens a lot in all of his films but this one especially I think it's done so well that you know even though it's not one of the big big ones in my opinion I think it's still a classic to behold so would you like tell us about this first one?
1: yeah absolutely and I, I totally agree with what you're saying uh, that kind of idea of dramatic irony is something that he does really well um with all these sort of films um but yeah the first one i, I was going to mention and uh these aren't necessarily my top five as in, as in the ones that i think that are the best but they're probably my favorites of the ones that i've seen you know uh, yeah. and obviously maybe ask uh, you asked me six months down the line i've seen more of his films maybe i'd say a different lot but for yeah. now uh, number one uh, no particular order really but this uh was dial m for murder um of course film starring uh grace kelly who who is a great collaborator of, of hitchcock and she's a absolutely
0: fantastic uh, actor uh, among other other sort of people as well yeah no exactly no dial m for murder I, I don't know what it is like it's one of the ones that it's always been there. I've always known it's existed, but it's not one that I initially think, oh, it's a Hitchcock film. It's sort of off the top of my head. I think, you know, there are, like you say, you know, we've mentioned some names already, but there are some films which are very synonymous with the Hitchcock name. M for Murder is very Hitchcock when you watch it, if you didn't know. But I personally think it doesn't leap out to me. And actually quite ironically, when I've watched, um, Die for murdered the film, I'd actually already seen a version of it, but not the film. So I think I heard that it was a Hitchcock film, but I went to see a stage version of it, which is a very, mm. it was a very interesting, very interesting experience. It was all done like a, a set, one single set and it was revert, no other like set changes. It The only time it would change would be when the set itself revolved on the stage uh, to uh-huh. reveal different parts of so the corridor of the apartment, but it was mostly set in the apartment in the stage version, which to be honest, the majority of the film... Is set in the apartment of our main characters, of uh, Grace Kelly and her husband. I just, but you know, obviously you get a bit of external influence here and there. But I don't know, what would you say your sort of like top moments from it? Would you say like what oh. makes it so, stand out to you as a as one of your favourite ones? Obviously there are others which are mm. got more obvious reasons, but I feel this yeah. one's got more of a like like sort of an interesting niche to it.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I agree. And with what you're saying, interestingly, it w- it's based on a play as well. So it was a play yeah. first, a Broadway show. And some of the actors from the original play actually appeared in the film. So I believe it was the investigator and the um, the the sort of attempted murderer who then it goes wrong. You know, they both were from the original Broadway production. Yeah. Um, and I think, I, I'm a big theatre fan. I know you are as well. So yeah. I think it you'll notice a lot of my picks are either based on theater or they're quite theatrical. And like you were saying, mm. this is all based in one space, which is obviously quite theatrical. And I think that, uh, kind of, um, confinement makes, uh, it means that Hitchcock has to work almost harder to keep it visually interesting because it's all set in one spot. And that's the same with a couple of the other films that I'll, I'll mention later on. Yeah. Um, but I, you, you'll see, you know, there's a specific sequence, which I really like in this where, um, the the husband is explaining his sort of plan to his kind of uh conspirator uh, and uh he's kind of walking around the apartment showing what what's going to happen and it's shot from such a high angle Mm, It, it looks so it's just so interesting and i think it's it's almost um it makes it seem like a crime scene before any crimes have even happened. But even though they're obviously they're talking about crime and it's just, it's things like that, which is really, it just makes it very visually interesting. Like the opening shot is of, of a phone, uh, obviously and the, with the M on one of the things, which is obviously the murder uh, yeah. connection, but, but I saw a behind the scenes photo, which is amazing. And it's, it's a massive, uh, actually the prop is huge because obviously to get the close-up at the time they had this massive uh, uh, phone and then there's a picture of Hitchcock standing next to it it's it's very funny Um, but it's just stuff like that which made it quite interesting and I think also what challenged him to kind of create this visual interest is is it was actually shot in 3D um, mm, yes. which is a really weird thing uh for the you don't really associate it. you think of avatar i guess when you think of 3D now <laughs> um, but but obviously 3D's been around for a long time and this was i think his only film that was shot in 3D which means that in some shots you'll have some things in the foreground and in the background and and obviously in 2D it makes it just a quite a deep image more interesting yeah. um but I'd love to watch it in 3D. I've never seen it in 3D. And every now and then they'll release it in cinema with uh, with the new 3D version or whatever, which I'd love to see,
0: but it's not something I've seen so far. No, exactly. I, I, I as well have not seen it in 3D. I know, I've known for ages that it has been it was shot in 3D. Uh, mm. And it was, you know, that was a big thing at the time. And to be honest, it's why I always say it's not what I assume is a Hitchcock film because, mm. because of that 3D, what, well, me personally anyway 3d i see as a gimmick uh, mostly these yeah. days because it's not really a popular thing anymore really mm. but i always used to see 3d as a big gimmick in terms of like getting people into the cinema and yeah you know, that big screen 3d experience and you know it's enjoyable if you have the right mm. film for it um others can be less desirable but we won't go into that <laughs> now but uh, <laughs> i mean my yeah, well, only yeah, I was going to say my only really experience with 3D really was, um well, I've seen 4D things, but 3D, I think, was it? The Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl when I was really <laughs> young and also, and also Avatar, obviously, as well. Um, yeah. But, you know, like I always see as a gimmick mostly. And the thing with no this dudes. one is it was, you know, I don't see 3D in Hitchcock. That seems a bit of a contrast, really, <laughs> like a bit Definitely. of a weird contrast for me.
1: Yeah, it is. And I, I think he saw it as a gimmick as well. I don't know if it was pressure from the studio that made him do it, but I don't think he was massively happy with the 3D results of it. And in fact, I don't think he really likes the film that much at all. It's definitely not one of Hitchcock's sort of top picks for his kind of best films that he's made, But which is surprising because it's quite similar in a way to a lot of his more favourite films. Um, but I, I really enjoy it. I think I, I first watched it on, it was on the BBC uh, one Saturday afternoon uh, mm. like a couple of years ago and I, I just happened to be watching the tv and saw that it was on and um, I didn't know much about it and I just flicked it on and I just couldn't stop watching it I think the performances are great and mm. obviously tension it, really well done obviously master of suspense like you say um, and it's just so enthralling and the first time I've watched it a couple more times. I think it never quite lives up to the first time you watch it because obviously you don't know what's gonna happen. It's just yeah. so exciting, I think. And I think anyone who hasn't seen it, I would really recommend watching it because it, it's really fantastic.
0: Yeah. I, I would probably say i to add on to that, I would say if you want introductory Hitchcock, so you want that Hitchcock style, but you don't want to go full in for like one of the late like one of the more heralded pieces then of Hitchcock's filmmaking dial in for murder is probably a good place to start really in my mm. opinion like as an easy going one although there are definitely yeah. ones that i would say you could start off with and it wouldn't even matter but <laughs> no i genuinely <laughs> i genuinely think that's a good one um should we move on to your next uh the next one in your list but uh, tell sure, us a little absolutely. bit about this i think this one uh this one i i do i i can't i mean i love all of these but this one has got to be one of my favorites as well but yeah tell us a little bit about this one yeah, of course. So this is Rear Window is the next one I was going to talk about. Oh,
1: um, yeah, it's amazing. I think I always forget how much I love it until I watch it again and I just fall in love with it all over again. It's just mm. such a, it's just so well crafted. The structure and the story It's just so uh, sort of Efficient uh, and obviously, again, it's this one is really all set in one place. There's no exceptions. It's all set in this one flat uh, because obviously the main character's he got a cast on. He can't leave the flat. He's in a wheelchair, and he all of his you know his friends come to visit him and stuff, um, and he's obviously looking out of his rear window at all these different stories. And I think that's really what makes it interesting to me is all these little vignettes of stories that are going on out mm-hmm. the back of his house because you've. My, the favourite sequence in the whole film, and I know the main story is really interesting about the murder and stuff, and it's based, that's based on a short story, but all, all the other kind of vignettes are kind of uh, original to the film. But my favourite sequence in the whole thing is where he's looking, and, and his kind of, one of his neighbours is, is this woman who lives alone, and they call her Miss Lonely Hearts. Mm. And she kind of, she has a little dinner to herself, but she minds out that she has someone else with her, like a a man uh, there kind of accompanying her to dinner. And she pours out the wine for the two of them and she cheers them. And Jimmy Stewart is watching with his glass of wine and he kind of cheers her from afar. Mm -hmm. And then she just like breaks down crying. And it's it's so like, just a tiny, that could even that tiny little story could work as like a short film almost on its own. Mm Because the way that Hitchcock kind of cuts between the action down there and then back to Jimmy Stewart and his reaction to it and he's kind of smiling and he's sad but he's sad when he realizes you know what she's doing and then he sort of cheers her and then it's just it's absolutely heartbreaking and just the, the way that he can do that with no dialogue or anything is just staggering it just shows his storytelling skill it is
0: just supreme, you know, and and the whole film, of course, is amazing as well. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, I was going to point something interesting out from what you just said. Obviously, um, you mentioned Miss Lonely Hearts uh, mm. and all the all the many different stories, you know, all the different windows that he's watching from his window. Um, I find mm. it interesting actually with Rear Window. So obviously, there's a famous uh, little piece of uh, a piece of information that uh, Hitchcock says quite uh, it'll always be repeated like if you like learn about Hitchcock, you'll always learn the one thing or even just filmmaking in general. There's an interesting bit of uh, speech from an interview, I think where he's like um, explaining what cinema is. So cinema is life with the boring bits cut out. And I always find it funny when we, when you look at something like rear window and Mm. essentially, although yes, the behavior of Miss Lonely Hearts, for instance, in this case is quite odd. She's, you know, she's pretending that she's got someone with her, even though she's on her own. Uh, you know, I feel that what Hitchcock has managed to do with Rear Window is assemble, I don't know, a bun- apart from obviously the central uh, potential mur- the murder plot that Jimmy Stewart's trying to work out throughout the entire thing, apart from that initial sort of real spark that's put throughout the entire film. I do feel like Hitchcock kind of goes back on his own advice and goes, oh, I'm going to select a few bits from like life then the boring bits as it were but make them interesting by adding Jimmy Stewart watching them so like in a way I feel obviously it's probably been read into loads of times but in my opinion you know Jimmy Stewart is the embodiment of Hitchcock looking out Mm -hmm. I mean to be honest I feel like Rear Window is basically Uh, a depiction of hitchcock looking for his next story and all he's finding is a load of boring bits but he's making them interesting (laughs) because of his own situation and then eventually he stumbles upon this murder plot or whatever it is he thinks he's going to (laughs) find
1: yeah 100 percent. well like you say and that's exactly it and i think the whole idea of voyeurism obviously is massive in the whole of hitchcock really but is really embodied with rear window because obviously jimmy stewart he's the viewer you know and, and often you see pov shots of him through his uh, mm. camera lens or through the binoculars and you're, you're literally in his position and then it obviously cuts back to see w- what's going on with him and it's just a really interesting theme that he plays with throughout and yeah. i think it, it's and another really important theme in that film is the idea of relationships you know because i think obviously he, it's him and grace kelly have this kind of will they won't they almost uh, yeah. relationship uh, but uh, but then in every story really at their core is about relationships right so you've got yeah. the murder plot which is uh, to do with a, a couple and you've got the the newlywed uh, couple that uh, just move in across the way as well you've got miss lonely hearts obviously searching or longing for a partner you've got a uh, miss torso who's the uh, ballet dancer who, who dances around and everyone wants her and she's always having these parties with all these men um and there's a really sweet moment at the end which i won't spoil but it's it's really nice with her <laughs> storyline and it, it's it's kind of and the way he's looking out he's looking at all these relationships and it kind of makes him think about his own relationship with Grace Kelly's character um which it just there's lots of layers there you know in the it's not just oh, there's a murder going on. There's all these other things going on, which all feed into each other. And they're all kind of
0: interconnected in a way, but also really separate, all the stories. It's, it's a really interesting watch. Yeah, very much so. And before we go on to your next pick on your list, uh, you mentioned mm. the POV, obviously the use of point of view shots, uh, yeah. with is very vital in this film, because it's a lot of it is of the film is portrayed through and it's been seen through this lens that is jimmy stewart's eyes um it's a fe- feature that actually features in quite a lot of most of hitchcock's work the pov shot where you yeah. get to really um it's not on this list i might mention it a bit later but there's a film, sure. the film called the wrong man uh which i yeah. i think it's one of an understated gem of hitchcock's in my opinion mm. but i i I love there's a scene. So uh, to cut a long story short is the main character, he gets falsely accused of a crime he didn't commit. That's the basis of it. He gets taken to prison and he's in his cell and we get to see all these different shots. We keep going back and forth and back and forth between him and then what he's Mm. looking at him and what he's looking at. And it really encapsulates that claustrophobia that you get and you know you get that so well just through the visual storytelling and that's the thing I feel that with Hitchcock as well he's always been credited for his visual storytelling and the fact that because he started off in the silent movie era his earliest films yeah. were silent films so he started off yeah. with that and visuals were all that mattered words yeah. need nothing visuals are everything and I feel yeah. obviously we mentioned the whole being in one place uh, uh, for an entire film in Dialing for Murder*. And in your next pick, that is very much the same case as well. And relying on the visuals, relying on being stuck in the same place, uh, I noticed there's a bit of a theme reoccurring. The first three films <laughs> that we're talking about—they're all very confined. <laughs> they are. Yeah,
1: I, I found that. I think. As I say, I think it's maybe my love for theater or maybe they're also all sort of crime mystery, which I really love that genre yeah. as well, like I know he does Hitchcock does a lot um of kind of caper films, which I also find really fun, you know like um the thirty nine steps and North by Northwest and stuff yeah like they're really fun, but um i don't know for me, crime and mystery just is more stimulating for me, but yeah. i totally i think he's great at that kind of chase cross country uh, adventure as well, um, yeah. but no, I think I just I don't know what it is about them but I I just really like these kind of confined uh I guess more focus on the characters uh, and the relationships maybe uh so this next film is um Rope Mm, which is 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 great and it's also based on a a play um but it's it's all set in this one apartment again like the uh, presumably the original play was as well and um but what's interesting about this is he's he almost does a bit of a, a, a what what now I guess will be known as like a 1917, right? So it's, it's kind of all, well, there are some cuts, right? But it's designed almost to look entirely like one shot. And there are a few unmasked cuts because... Um, at the time, obviously, the projectionist in the cinema had to change over reels, and there 'd be no way to mask that. Uh, mm-hmm. He does mask a few cuts by kind of zooming into people 's backs and stuff, which is a bit obvious, but the idea is there, and i think um in the same way as it works really well in one thousand nine hundred and seventeen in my opinion uh, I think yeah. it works well in rope and again, with the three d thing it is a bit of a gimmick, this one shot thing, but it 's and apparently it was really difficult when they sh- shot it. Apparently it was insanely hard because mm. obviously the camera rig was huge. It was a color camera. I think it was the first color film that he'd made and it yeah. was massive. And and he had to like move it around obviously so much. Uh, mm. And apparently all the set was on wheels. So they would like move walls and move all the, <laughs> like there's a grand piano and like the chest that the body is kept in at the beginning. And like they move it all around, um, which must've been just insane to film. But it, it, I think that the, the sort of product is is really great
0: yeah i mean it's it's funny because i i've heard that as well about the moving sets moving everything everything beyond wheels um i find it really interesting that you mention obviously you bring in the the information about the big cameras because obviously this was Mm. 1940s 1948 this was really so it would have been like just earlier that year 1947 Mm. when it was filmed and Mm. back in the day because obviously i've seen if you anyone's seen any behind the scenes photos from the likes of any MGM films, such as like The Wizard of Oz, who'd Technicolor to great degree, uh, any yeah. of those classics from the 30s through to the 50s as well, you really notice how massive massive those yeah. cameras are like compared to now we don't know what we've got because you know they're <laughs> tiny true. they're tiny like we've got cameras which shoot in like high quality like 4k yeah. these days even even further but they're and they're tiny things like yeah I, well we've I, all got them in our pockets now right yeah <laughs> on and, our and phones. And, got... yeah no on Chris. phones as well no no it's fine yeah uh i just it, it's mental to think you know and also when i watch mm. rope as well like i feel the movement it's it does it, if you didn't know that they had so much trouble with the giant camera and having to Mm. make do and mend with like, oh, put the sets on wheels, make sure it's movable. You'd think that, oh God, this was made like, you might've even thought it was made somewhere along the lines of like, maybe the late 50s, 60s possibly, when yeah. they might have got a smaller camera in there. But honestly, it was it, it's yeah. amazing to even think that. So, you know, that's a nice bit of insight yeah. for you guys if you wanted to know <laughs> about a bit of behind-the-scenes filmmaking there. But no, honestly, I do love it. And it's another Jimmy Stewart one as well because, you know...
1: Oh, I love I love Jimmy Stewart. I think he's my favourite actor potentially of all time. He's got such charm and charisma. And interestingly, that, that I think Rope right, wasn't a big hit in the US. And And part of the thinking behind that is jimmy stewart plays this kind of older um, like teacher character he, he was their schoolmaster or whatever back in the day yeah. and and he's, he's kind of almost their mentor and he's very serious and like he he, he talks a lot I guess he, he, he does crack jokes every now and then and he's quite sharp but he's overall quite serious. And he talks a lot about philosophy and that kind of thing and and it was thought that he wasn't almost quite right for the part like I think um, there was talk of they wanted uh Cary Grant for the role I think uh, or um James Mason as well could have been mm. um more appropriate I think uh, and it's funny in the film there's a great conversation between um the two ladies uh, Mrs Atwater and then Joan they're, to- they're either side of Jimmy Stewart obviously Jimmy Stewart being this great star and they're talking about all these other movie stars and how much they love them and like <laughs> oh yeah I really love Errol Flynn or I really love Cary Grant and everything and he's just stood right there it's it's a great bit of meta humor there and I think uh. there is there's a bit of that throughout and it, it's quite witty and it's it's an interesting um comment as well the whole film really uh because it, it was like you say made in 1948 a few years after you know the fall of the nazis i guess but there is a lot they talk about a lot about nietzsche and like the superhuman and because the whole thing is about whether it's okay for some people to commit murder and others not to and almost the conflict really at, at the heart of it is is the academic versus the actual practical right mm. so like it's the the they all kind of share an academic idea that oh murder is is a privilege for the few uh, and a crime for the sort of lesser man um but then really when they actually you know the beginning of the movie they, they go through with it and they actually murder someone mm. it, it takes on a whole life of its own i guess or, or rather death i suppose of its own it's <laughs> it's completely different in real life as it is in academics and the fact that it's set in this high society kind of new york and everyone's kind of smart and it it's a really interesting uh, comment on that kind of world of academia and
0: everything, which is really interesting to watch. No, absolutely. And going slightly back to obviously you saying um, we met, you mentioned obviously um, James May, uh, James Mason and mm. Cary Grant, who could have possibly mm. been Jimmy Stewart's character. I, yeah, I can see that in the sense that they would have worked because they work in those slightly more mature, older, respected roles um, yeah. and they sort of work with that and also especially I mean obviously this was before Lolita so it was before yeah. uh, James Mason made his sort of mark as a teacher in that respect but like I still yeah. could picture him as that as that sort of you, you know academic figurehead Yeah. but at the same time Jimmy Stewart pulls it off and I'm not just saying that because I do like Jimmy Stewart as an actor <laughs> in most of the Hitchcock films because you know it's true yeah. I do but I do yeah. feel that because he's that little bit more I don't know kind of youthful but in a sense that's hmm. got a little bit more bounce and a little bit more vigor about him that you know you could believe that he might just go from from naught to a hundred in like a second and he's like oh i'm i'm fine i'm an academic and now we am gonna talk about murder so, it's true no
1: i i agree and i think it does mean that he almost he seems more on a par or on a level with um, the, the students, even though the students are obviously a lot younger than him. Yeah, it doesn't exactly. mean that he kind of seems on the same level, which is nice. Their relationship is nice. I think it's important as well with this film to 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 mention the, um, the two main characters, Philip and uh, whatever his name is. I can't remember. The main <laughs> dude. Um, they, uh, I think in the original play, and I think, Um, it's kind of a subtext it's never really mentioned in the film but when they were making it I think everyone kind of knew that they were supposed to be um, uh, like together they were supposed to be like homosexual uh, lovers I guess Mm -hmm. Um, but obviously the whole that whole idea was really taboo at the time yeah Um, so they couldn't really mention it and I think that again was another factor which why it might not have been a bigger hit in, in the US than it was, I think it was quite a bigger hit in Europe and in, in the UK where um, that I, it, I guess people were a bit more liberal over here in the 40s and 50s than they were in the US. The ho- whole idea of homosexuality was a complete taboo. So it, it's an interesting thing to watch where I assume the, the actors probably had that in the back of their minds. I think in the original play, the, as I said, the, the characters were, were gay together. So it, it's just interesting to see them all, all sort of skirt around it a lot without really mentioning it um which again is is worth a watch purely for that really
0: no exactly um i feel now we, we've we reached the point now i'm gonna we're gonna move on to your next uh the next one in your list the penultimate mm. film in your list before yeah. we get to the granddaddy of them all because i love the last <laughs> one um but yeah. we'll get on to that in a minute uh but this next one i have to admit is not what is the only one I have not seen before I've heard of it I know it's based on a book if I remember rightly yeah uh, that's right yeah but I have never seen the film and to be honest is like I said it's a title I've seen but I've never really seen it and I didn't really know it was a Hitchcock film so would you like to enlighten me and everybody else on the podcast what yeah. this next pick of is of course
1: so this next pick is from 1938, a bit earlier than the ones that we've been talking about. Yeah. It is The Lady Vanishes. Ooh. So this was from before Hitchcock uh, went over to the US. Mm. He was obviously making movies here in the UK, which is, is really nice to see, you know, uh, some good old British actors on, on the on the big screen. Uh, and it's, um, it's, I guess, uh, a crime uh, kind of it 's I guess a midpoint between what we were saying earlier about the crime thing and then it was kind of an adventure caper as well because uh, it 's set um, mostly on a train, uh, which again is a kind of a confined thing, <laughs> going back to uh, <laughs> what we were talking about earlier um, but it's it 's a really interesting story of um uh, this this woman is helped uh, on, on a train by this older lady who then goes missing, hence the lady vanishes, and it 's all about her trying to um, find her and uncover like this weird plot that seems to be going on. Um, and she's helped by like a gentleman and they, everyone seems to be kind of against her. Um, and they're all telling her, no, there was no older lady. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. You were here alone. And it, it's, I guess this idea of gaslighting, right? I think it's before the movie Gaslight even, uh, but it's, it's, it, it's a very kind of heavy in that, in those tones. And it's really nice to see this kind of, strong female protagonist um, kind of going against all these people telling her no you're crazy you know you're you're making things up and she's really adamant that she it's really happened even though she's had a hit on the head you know they're saying oh you're hallucinating you're, you're confused but she just doesn't care and she goes on with her kind of quest I suppose and she is helped with by people along the way but I think it is I don't know if I'd go as far to say it's feminist because there's still um, issues of like, there's a bit of the guy saving the girl and like conflict situations, but there's definitely some elements of of kind of proper, uh, I guess, female empowerment. There's some other female characters are quite strong. Um, Like there's this nun character who who kind of uh, does some quite uh, dangerous and and, and daring things and not sort of overly sexual or anything, which is, is nice to see, especially so early, you know, which is great
0: yeah no exactly um i was going to say actually since we're mentioning obviously women in terms of hitchcock Mm. um i know and this is being one of his earlier films i think we do sort of see like a progression of from the paranoid woman film as it was known back in the day sort of the gothic style um in i'd say probably i haven't seen this but i get those sort of vibes from this one which are very Mm -hmm. similar to rebecca Uh, yeah 1940s rebecca which is known as a mixture like some people call it a film noir other people call it a gothic film other people call it like they say it's got that old school um very sexist but uh woman female paranoia in there as well and you know it's just i feel that we've gone with hitchcock in general as a general like sort of a comment i'll leave here with you guys and billy as well see what you think of this but i do feel with hitchcock he when although women have been in a lot of his films be they for problematic reasons for most of the time or not Mm -hmm. um, we've gone from like the paranoid woman film all the way up to i would say a mixture of both in some of the later films because i know for instance in north by northwest it's mm. a man that's pretty paranoid half the time <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah true it's like it's a james bond film but paranoia city <laughs> i just yeah. i feel that there's some sort of a weird like progression even though mm. he's not the he's in no way respect in no respect at all a progressive director in so in a lot of respects but i do feel in terms of his career and shifts in his tone, even though a lot has remained quite consistent throughout his career over the course of all of his film work. I do feel that there's that that little bit of a change and a little bit of a shift, yeah. although it, it, it I do raises agree. his head sometimes but yeah What would well, you say? that's
1: true oh uh, yeah I, I i agree in terms of as well and if you look at um i guess grace kelly's character in um even if you look between the films dial M for murder and then um rear window and they, they i think they're actually the same year but either way um with, with dial M for murder it, she's quite helpless um you know she, she everything happens to her you know whereas with in Rear Window, she's much more active and, and she's not afraid to kind of... Uh, she's almost stereotyped by the audience and by Jimmy Stewart's character as this kind of, oh, I only uh, wear sell dresses and I work for Harper's Bazaar or whatever. And I only like fancy clothes and I'm, not, I'm afraid to get my hands dirty. And then she proves everyone wrong. You know, she proves the audience and Jimmy Stewart wrong. Uh, and I guess, you know if if we go deeper into it, you could say, oh, she's only doing it for the man's approval or whatever. But at the same time, it's still nice to see an active woman who's not afraid to, to go out and, and do uh, daring and, and scary things uh, but I mean, there's a whole, we could talk about the kind of f- women in Hitchcock is a whole other very complex issue, I think.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. No, I, I completely agree. And I feel, I'll get back to it later, but there is a film, it's not a Hitchcock film, but I'll tease you now, guys, and Billy. <laughs> there is a film which is not by Hitchcock, but about Hitchcock that I think explores that just a little bit. And I'll get back to that in my honorable mention section at the end of this episode. <laughs> uh, but moving on, as I described this, the granddaddy, the grandwoman, whatever you want to call it the queen the king whatever it is the jewel that is what I would argue Hitchcock's best film I know there are people out there who are probably there to just like trolls who want to defy the world and say actually I think this one's better than that one but I love it it's my favorite and I'm sure it's one of your well it is your favorite you've left the best till last in my opinion it is it is go go ahead reveal the title it is its
1: it's my favorite, and it is Psycho. Yes. <laughs> of course, what else? Of course it's, it is. It's so great. It's so great. And I, again, I this was the first one I ever watched. And I remember so distinctly watching it. Because as I say, I didn't really know anything about Hitchcock. I didn't really know anything about any any sort of of that uh, genre or the film at all. And I go in and I just heard about it. Obviously, I know about the shower scene, right? Everyone knows about the shower scene. Of course, but apart too. from that, I didn't know a thing. So I went in, and I'm going to have to... Drop some spoilers here, so yeah, spoiler please alert everyone. <laughs> please, genuinely, if you haven't seen it, I beg you to go and watch it now before knowing anything, because it's so worth it. So I, I, I sit down and I watch it, and I just so vividly remember every single sort of twist hitting me like an absolute ton of bricks. And I don't know whether I, I was quite young at the time. I didn't. I hadn't seen many of this kind of film, but it was every sort of thing. That, like, for example it sounds so cringe or cliche when you say it but the bit when he the, the Sam and uh, Leela character go to the local sheriff to ask about like what's been going on and uh, they ask about the mother and then he's like oh she's been dead and buried for ten years And literally it was like one of those moments where your mind absolutely blows up it's crazy and then obviously you know later on where she turns around Norman uh, you know the mother and it's the corpse and you're just like what, what? the hell <laughs> it's cr- it's honestly it was like like, again, I don't know if I was being super naive throughout, but I literally didn't see any of it coming, and it was all just, like, mind-blown after mind-blown situations. And just the fact that he can sort of do that, it's, it's incredible.
0: I, I mean, I, I, I feel, in respect to the, the bit about the corpse, the reveal of the corpse, I don't think you're being naive at all. Like, once you've... If you haven't watched it before, I feel like you get the indicator. You, get, you see a figure in a dress yeah. walking across the window. You don't know she's dead. So, you know... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, and I think it's a,
1: it's a testament really to, to two things really. A, obviously the misdirection, the way they kind of uh, yeah. show you little snippets of here and there. And also I think it's a real testament to um, Anthony Perkinson's a- acting. He plays Norman Bates so well. Mm. Like he's so charming and, and timid. And I think in my opinion, he, the, his style of acting... So like naturalistic, and the way he sort of stutters mm-hmm. over his words, but not in a cr- like a cliche over over the top way, and he giggles, and it feels so real. In, in an era where you've got people like um, and I, I don't get me wrong, I do like Humphrey Bogart, I like you know his movies and stuff, but he's very kind of declamatory. He, he all yeah. the way he says things is just very like this is what's happening or whatever. But with with Anthony Perkins, and I know it's a bit later on, but he's so natural and and. It, it, he feels so real the character and I think you could never suspect him of of murder right you could you just couldn't and then and then that that transition to oh, obviously you've got the I, I don't think he did the voicing for the, the the mother I assume that was like a woman who did it because it's it's quite a female thing yeah. uh, but and then the, the that final bit in the police station when he's like wrapped in the blanket he is so creepy it's like one of the oh, creepiest gosh. things ever when he like he's like and he's got the fly on his hand and then he looks up directly into the lens and it literally, it's so spine chilling. It's incredible. It, it, it was, it's just an amazing experience to watch for the first time.
0: Yeah, honestly, guys, I, I, I mean, even if you continue to listen to Billy's impassionate speech about <laughs> Psycho just then, even though he warned you about spoilers and you still want to watch it and you know what's coming, I, I applaud you because you know and I still think you should watch it anyway even if yeah. you, even if you didn't pause and then watch and then come back but you know honestly I, I couldn't agree with you more like it's just like you say the way in that bit at the end of the film with in the police station with the flies like it's the voice more than anything so I can't mm, remember yeah. for the life of me uh, I, I think it is a woman that's dubbed over because mm. it doesn't sound like him unless he's that he was that talented um, Maybe, yeah, which would be really funny if it was but yeah. um, you know, multi-talented man you know he can be a yeah. creepy sweet innocent psycho and he can do a woman's voice it's brilliant <laughs> no I'm, I'm sure that's not what was on the docket when um when they said right Anthony Perkins would you like to come in for an audition for the role of the psycho sexual murderer person <laughs> in this new Alfred Hitchcock film uh no uh, honestly it's very creepy it's just the way that fly that fly I would kill that fly I could kill it but they wouldn't know and it's just so <laughs> the way it's done like again, although the word I've said before, Hitchcock said words are meaningless, visuals and actions are the most important thing in his mm. opinion because of his silent yeah. movie background and using visuals mostly rather than words and sound. But I feel this is probably, in my opinion, and I, I feel like you're going to agree with me as well, mm. one of his best efforts of sound and image together because mm. he's not saying, and like I would say, um, uh, non diegetic, so a mixture of non diegetic sound. Uh, so basically, for those of you who don't know that term, that means so sound off-screen that's not in the scene itself. So Anthony Perkins' character, Norma Bates, isn't speaking. But, you know, a nice marriage between what's on-screen and what's done off-screen. Yeah. I feel it's just such a a brilliant, like, a brilliant, creepy, eerie performance. And also, you know, there's so many good shots in there. Like the shot of the eye. 100%. The eye, where yeah, he's looking through the... The little hot peep hole that's yeah. been dug behind one of the pictures in his office yeah. to spy on. And Marian then the and other, Proud.
1: the other eye, I guess. There's another close up of the eye. You know, after she's been killed, and it, there's the the drain uh, going down into the plug hole, and then it cuts mm. to a close up of her eye, and it zooms out to her face. I don't know how she stayed still for that long <laughs> for yeah. that shot, but it's it's a, it's a great shot. I think it's interesting that you say about that sound. Obviously, the the score to this film is so iconic, uh, rightly mm. so because it's amazing, um, and I think it is really interesting, and um and I love the, the bit, um, there are bits when she's in the car, and obviously you've got the music going, and I, but I love the way they uh, they have sh- uh, imagined conversations, right? That she's driving, yeah. and she's thinking like, uh, and it's the bank manager, or, or her boss, sorry, saying like, oh, I thought she went to the bank, and she went off with the forty third and it's her, him kind of realizing, and these are sort of completely hypothetical situations, but I think that's so... Like almost relatable, right? Like you, one always thinks of hypothetical situations and, and conversations yeah. that you play out in your head. And it's just little things like that, which make it so much more, um, I guess, realistic in a way. And you kind of really empathize with uh, Marion's character when she does that, because you just think, that's me. You know, I, I do that yeah. all the time. Yeah, but it's, absolutely. It's, yeah. And with the music though, I think obviously, as I say, with the score in this is great. But going back to Rear Window, you can kind of see the um, the juxtaposition there. Because with Rear Window it's almost entirely diegetic, um, mm. in terms of you, you, the only things you hear are like music coming from across the courtyard, drifting in and, and you've got the, and it plays a really important part, the music in that film with uh, Miss Lonely Hearts getting, uh, sort of hearing the music from the pianist's apartment and everything it's, it's really important. And, and then you see this uh, in Psycho with the really kind of powerful impactful score. It just shows that, he's not like a one trick pony at all, you know, he can do all these different uh, styles and just nail them all to be honest. I, no, exactly. I think I, it's great.
0: I couldn't agree more. And obviously we mentioned, you mentioned Marion Crane. So the, mm. for anyone who knows, obviously, you know, Psycho, the blonde woman who is screaming in the shower, the one who gets <laughs> yeah. killed and we get to see the first ever toilet on American cinema screen, because apparently that, that's a fun fact for you guys. Obviously Billy yeah. knows this, but like the <laughs> fact that, the production code were very against having a toilet shown on mm. screen because of the I don't, flushing the toilet, and it was a very big thing. Like no one sees <laughs> yeah. a toilet on screen. That's not <laughs> American. <laughs> yeah, I
1: think it was. The, yeah, it was the first flushing toilet, wasn't it? And yeah, I it's, like it's important to the story. Yeah, yeah, because obviously she flushes down those. Bits of paper, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 a great, and it was quite revolutionary, I think, as well. I don't think I know, you know. Obviously, it's been parodied a million times. The shower scene, specifically. I love the, the little things though that have influenced other things. Like, there's a great shot where she's in the car, she's just leaving town, and then her boss crosses the, the crosswalk in front of her and looks at her and does like a bit of a double take at her like oh that's that's my secretary or whatever and carries him walking and it's the same sort of shot in Pulp Fiction when uh, Bruce Willis is driving and then Marcellus Willis comes and he does the double take but instead of just driving away he just hits him with the car and every time I watch Psycho now I see that scene and I'm like hit him with the car just run him over <laughs> you know I mean? it's like the exact same shot and I know Tarantino is famous for ripping off I guess you know borrowing from other directors but oh. it's such a fun little shot that you, you the things like that you notice and you're just like
0: it's, you see how influential the film it's, is it's actually really funny because I, I wish I knew that but I didn't so I genuinely think that's the funniest thing I've heard all all of my life so far of film of like looking into films, I've never noticed that. Even though I probably should have noticed that. that the <laughs> well, you'll no- next time
1: you watch it, you'll notice it. I promise you. Yeah. I honestly though this is my hot take about Psycho. Right, is the real Psycho right? I'll tell you who the real Psycho is. It's <laughs> it Marion it. Crane because when she gets in the shower. She turns it on and she lets the the water go directly onto her skin without testing how hot it is. I don't know if you, obviously we've all been to hotels. You don't know what temperature that's going to be. You turn it on, it could be boiling hot. It could be freezing cold. It's, It's notorious for not knowing what's going on. And she just gets in, she turns it on, goes straight onto her. And she's like, oh yes, now I'm washing myself. I'm like, that's so unrealistic, come on. She'd be like either like, ow, that really hurts. Or, oh my God, I'm so cold. And then she gets murdered. I mean, not the worst thing that's happened to her, you know
0: oh it's, gosh oh that's, I think that's,
1: that's 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 broken me that has that's, almost... <laughs> that's broken me <laughs> it's pure psychopathic behavior in my opinion uh, uh, but look in a way <laughs> she deserved to be killed just for that <laughs> no i kid obviously. <laughs> but uh, no uh, you know nitpicking aside it is an it's an iconic it's brilliant it's such an amazing film yeah and um yeah, I I just can't recommend it enough.
0: I think no, it's such a honestly, I I especially after that that impassioned speeching again, <laughs> I can't recommend it enough either. Um, as uh, we we mentioned, Marion Crane, uh, it's uh, she's uh, played by the legend. Sorry, I'm trying to compose myself now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the legendary uh, Janet Lee, yeah. who the horror fans out there will know very well, uh, that Janet Lee is the mother of the famous Give It Away Billy jamie lee curtis yeah legend. legends who was in in halloween and also i don't know whether you know this billy right, in my niche sort of like scrolling through television and stuff there's a television series it was done by the guy who did glee an american horror story uh ryan murphy oh, yeah. a series called scream queens now second se- it only lasted two seasons the second season was crap i will say that now um the first season though i actually quite liked and it's very like murder mystery like who done it and all sorts of things like a uh, last girl kind of playing on all like classic horror tropes and parodying them. Uh, they recreated the shining maze, uh, but in season two, the one sort of well I say saving grace, you could say it was terrible cause it was a terrible rip off. But um, there was, they actually recreated the psycho um, shower scene with Jamie Lee Curtis. And she's, she's getting hunted by this masked uh, devil, uh, oh, a person God. in a devil costume. And then <laughs> the curtain opens, and there's no one there and the the devil's there with a knife and he's like what 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 and then literally get he gets whacked on the head by um by Jamie Lee Curtis and she literally goes i've seen that movie hundreds of times <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's so, brilliant. I've not ever seen it. I remember you, you mentioned it on your episode, uh, on your Halloween episode, right? Yeah. Because I think you, you talked about Psycho, and I, I remember that. But but no, I've not seen it. No, um, maybe honestly. I'll, I'll check out the clip.
0: It's a check out the clip just alone. You don't need to watch the series. Just check out the clip. It's <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. It shows how getting back to hitchcock it shows how influential he is mm-hmm. on everything you know like you say you yeah. say pulp fiction which has had me in absolute tears right <laughs> now i'm not gonna lie yeah. um but before we sort of wrap this up and um, thank you for your picks i love those i'm just gonna do a That's quick right. sort of roll call roll call of what my picks are uh, Yeah, i'd love so to hear them my top five i'm gonna go in reverse uh, so from mm-hmm. five up to one so number five yeah. i've put vertigo oh great film. i
1: knew you know i knew it would be on your because you're a noir <laughs> you're a sucker for film noir i knew yeah. it would be on that and i do love it to be fair but no i knew it would be yours yeah yeah
0: no absolutely i mean it's really funny because you know i think i watched a video once it was like um uh all uh, about film noir classic film noir it means they're in black and white it was an american person going oh they're in black and white sorry jimmy and there's a shot of jimmy stewart hanging on for dear life at the end <laughs> which i think is funny because yeah oh if you don't count you're fine but in a book <laughs> i own apparently you know apparently psycho classes as film noir which i thought was very weird um That's but moving on to my four uh, number four obviously we've already mentioned it rear window classic. Ooh, yeah. uh, number three, I've mentioned it already, but The Wrong Man from 1956. I, mm. It's pure drama. It's, you know, like I said before, it's about a man who gets wrongly accused of a crime he didn't commit. Uh, he was in the wrong place, wrong time kind of thing. Mm. He gets suspected by a bank teller who, there's a man who looks pretty much exactly the same as him mostly, apart from a few different features. Uh, but he gets collared for this crime that he didn't commit. And it's all this really emotional very impactful internal film and again like I said I've described the scene where he's in a jail cell and he's like you see his point of view of the co- the corner of the room the sink the toilet the bed yeah he's very closed in and you know it really demonstrates Hitchcock's early visual uh, mastery as it were and obviously it's shot in black and white as well so you know it has serious psycho vibes as well but without yeah. the mass murdering mother who's not really alive um <laughs> and then number 2 we've mentioned it a little bit but i'd like to give honorable credit to the film that i i love it i love it cuz you know if you love james bond you'll love this film and if you love hitchcock you'll also love this film and that is north by northwest the 19 19- 50s classic that is North by Northwest uh, with Cary Grant in the lead role as Roger Thornhill I literally watched it not long ago actually and honestly it's it always makes me laugh his because Alfred Hitchcock likes to make loads of cameos as Billy will know uh, in his Mm. films and some of them more subtle than others the one in North by Northwest always makes me laugh because (laughs) the way literally the title not he the title goes and he tries to get on the bus and the bus door shuts and it's like you know he may be alfred hitchcock but we ain't stopping the bus for you <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah, my hot take for that. for north I, by northwest
1: <laughs> it's a great it's a great cameo i think apparently i read i'm sure it's true that um uh, obviously people always would look out for these cameos so yeah. they had to move them kind of closer and closer to the start of the movie because otherwise yeah. the whole movie they wouldn't be paying attention to the plot they'd just be trying to look out for the cameos so it, it's always interesting to see those cameos and i remember i took note of all the cameos in my top five but it yeah like you say some more subtle than others my favorite one was from in rope because obviously it's all set in one place you couldn't yeah. have him just Show up at the apartment and be like, "Oh, sorry, wrong house." Do you know what I mean? You could so um, they had him as a, like a neon sign uh, outside the apartment yeah. it's, uh, for for a, for. A, um, uh, like a weight loss product um, which I think is, is a funny kind of joke on his own weight um, oh. but apparently it's, they did use the same weight loss product uh, which is fictional in Lifeboat which is one I haven't seen I'd love to watch because that's all Ooh. set on one Lifeboat um, so uh, you know me about the confined spaces I'd, I'm sure it's great oh. anyway I've completely derailed your top five no that's Please, fine that's fine I go love it one.
0: I love it I love it no that's fine I love it I wanted a bit of Hitchcock um, trivia before we concluded and then obviously number one it's very quick and easy it has got to be psycho as we've discussed yeah. literally just now psycho is number one on my top my top five um honorable mentions for me are uh, i would say obviously i think obviously north by northwest is in my top sort of it's in there honorable mentions mm-hmm. i think saboteur uh, no not saboteur saboteur is a good one but i would say mm-hmm. uh shadow of a doubt that because i love oh, film because yeah. it's, a, it's a film it's classed as a film noir and you could it's very it's very good i think it's very like it's a bit like suspicion in a way in the sense Hmm. that because we've got the daughter, we've got a daughter character. who's very suspicious of, I think it's her stepfather or father, I think is. I think it's her Hmm. father. Um, And that sense of paranoia, which is in the film Suspicion, uh, another great one which has got cary grant in it but yeah. uh, as an early ver- w- work of hitchcock i do think that shadow of a doubt is one of his sort of that's one of my honorable mentions of his early career i'd say do you have any honorable mentions before we
1: yeah i think most of them we we've sort of touched on already like you say north by northwest 39 steps that kind of caper one i really like i i there are two films uh, that you've just mentioned as well, Rebecca and Suspicion, which I really love. It's got the same lead actress in it. And um, and I watched them like two one day apart. So I watched one one night and the next one the next night. And they're quite similar in terms of they're both about these kind of upper class uh, english uh, couples who uh you know there's something dodgy about the bloke uh but you don't know what it is and that's basically the whole movie until the end is different of course in each one but yeah. they're, they're both great i really like them in their own ways rebecca obviously a classic and then it was remade wasn't it uh, recently with, with netflix i know yes i of listened course. to your, um, yeah. your review which i totally agree with you by the way i think i thought it was fine i don't think it deserved the hate that it got but it, it's no hitchcock obviously
0: no um, obviously nothing compares to the original um, and lastly yeah. i was going to say i did mention this earlier i can't sort of finish this off without coming mm. back to my point about um revisiting uh the issues and the women behind hitchcock and that is the mm. 2012 biopic as you would uh, you could probably say um film hitchcock simply called hitchcock mm. from 2012 which has got um i always i keep wanting to say anthony but it, uh, but it is anthony so anthony hopkins mm. as hitchcock himself and then helen mirren, Dame helen mirren as his wife alma uh it's funny. It, I always say this. I think I've said this to someone else before, probably on another episode, but I'll say it again. It's a very ironic film in the sense that it's called Hitchcock. It is about Hitchcock and it's focused on the making of Psycho. And, you know, if you like that stuff, obviously I've watched it. I liked it. It's quite short. It's only an hour and a half. So it's quite easily uh, digestible. And it's got some funny little quips in there. Interesting sort of behind the scenes, dramatic interpretations of what could have happened and such. Um, but I do find it funny. It's called Hitchcock, yet it is... I know her last she would take the Hitchcock name, but it really should have just been called Alma because it is totally based around his wife. Like it's oh, more about, I would say it's it's a half and half split, but there's a lot of it dedicated, a lot of the time dedicated to Helen Mirren's interpretation of his wife Alma, and basically mm-hmm. saying you know, this is the woman behind Hitchcock. This is how the greatest horror movie got ever made, ever got made. And it's just, you know, I I think it's a good companion piece. I would say, again, it's not directed by Hitchcock because you know, <laughs> I, I'm not even I'm not even sure Hitchcock d- could direct his own film. I feel like he wouldn't feel as he'd have to have a sense of detachment from it. So therefore he'd have to get Alma to do it for him or something like that, if he ever did it um, in his lifetime. Yeah, he'd have to get murdered or something in the plot, right? Oh yeah, and then make a cameo (laughs) five minutes later. (laughs)
1: yeah well there's a famous quote I can't I'll be paraphrasing here but he said something about how obviously he's typecast as a director so he said if he directed Cinderella people would be looking for a body in the coach you know so (laughs) it's very which is very true I was going to say there's a similar film uh the Hitchcock which I haven't seen Hitchcock I would like to actually because obviously I I like the, the the work of the man um but there's another one called which is similar it's called The Girl I don't know if you've heard about it it's a made for tv uh film starring Toby Jones as um Hitchcock I don't think I've heard of that one no yeah it's it's about make the making of the birds which I also really like the birds that was (laughs) going to be another of my um honorable mentions it's a I I think it's great it's it's pretty mental The, the idea of birds attacking is just crazy but I love it it's really cool um but it's about that and about uh Tippi Hendren who's the the main actress in the birds and um how he kind of abused her because they had like real birds and they would like chuck real birds at her and stuff and it it sounds really horrible but i'm i'll check it out at some point but it it just goes to show that kind of obviously his uh problematic relationships with with women are are such that you know people have kind of studied them and and made films about them and
0: yeah there's definitely a lot going on there absolutely and with that Image of birds being thrown at Tippy Hedren's face. I, I, I give you the end of the episode. Um, before we, thank you so much for coming on, Billy. It's genuine, literally. I said this with someone else before. Oh, I've had the best episode ever. I just keep getting better and better. I want you back on again because I've never laughed this much on the podcast so much. So, (laughs) thank you so much for coming on, Billy. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Do you have anything? That's all right, no problem. Um, do you have anything you want to say to the listeners or any sort of things? Are you looking forward to anything this year, film-wise? If and when we can get to. Some sort of like cinema or, you know, if it comes to streaming.
1: (laughs) No, I'm. I am. There's a lot of films that have just seemed to be put off indefinitely. Uh, you know, for a lot of times. I'm looking forward to uh, Netflix's offerings, though. I think mm. there are some interesting because they they presumably won't be delayed. Uh, but no. I know there's a new Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence film coming out later this year, and mm. um, Malcolm and Marie. I saw you oh, posting on Instagram yes. about that. That looks really cool. I yeah. really love John David Washington and Zendaya as well. Yeah. Um, so, and I've heard it's by the makers of Euphoria, right? Which I've I've not watched, but I've heard is great. Neither have um, I, so. but I
0: also think it's great, and I'm a great Zendaya lover you know i i mean i started admittedly from spider-man um homecoming yeah. but i'm on the right wagon now so you know i will get to watch <laughs> you for it at some point but yeah malcolm yeah. marie looks stunning i i totally it does agree but with yeah, that i yeah i, I just you know there's so, there's so much there's so much coming out that i'm looking forward to and like i said billy thank you so much for coming on the podcast i really want to get you on again because genuinely of course i've never had so much of a laugh and i'm loving <laughs> your hot take your hot take about psycho is my favorite it's going to go in the it's highlight reel for 2021 <laughs> it's out there in the world now yeah yeah my 2021 highlight reel when we come to like the year and review special for this year it's going to feature that quote i'm going to just cut that bit of audio out (laughs) i'm very happy to provide you with that i'm very happy (laughs) no problem billy well thank you very much and um that's a wrap on the hitchcock special of take 97 a film podcast with me your host david ingram and billy morton yeah i'll catch you on the next episode guys see you later bye